taken the forefront to what we as believers ought to be doing. My friend, there has never been a greater time in my lifetime that we need to set the priority to be about the Great Commission, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There's never been a time that we need to do that more now than ever before. So when we come to this issue of revival, this issue of a walk with the Lord, we have no prophet that speaks more clearly to these issues than does Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a man without a land, if you will. He is the prophet to the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is now gone, and the southern kingdom is slipping away. Jeremiah would be there as that kingdom is carried away into captivity. And all the while, we find this one known as the weeping prophet speaking and warning this nation, these people, as they're slipping away. Church, I would remind you that when God speaks, it is for our good. And failure to to take God seriously sets the stage for disaster. It sets the stage for us to have a head-on collision with the character of God. And what God has said is for our good, and it requires our obedience. Rarely do movies and the production of movies make headlines just for what they are and how they came to be. But it's really hard not to turn on the news these days and see the, the movie Rust, the issue of the movie Rust and Alec Baldwin brought to the forefront. Because as you know, if you've watched the news for 20 minutes in the past two or three years, there was someone who failed to do their job. He, when he got up to, to, to perform the scene, he pointed the gun at someone and shot someone dead at almost point-blank range. The pistol that he was firing was supposed to have blank rounds in it, and they actually, it actually had live rounds. Someone failed to do their job. He had trust in what it was that he was supposed to do. Well, when we look to the pages of Scripture, here Jeremiah is giving what really amounts to multiple complaints against the people of Judah. And he is telling them there is a responsibility. God is faithful. And in his faithfulness, there is an expectation for obedience And it's that obedience that when we reject it, it's that obedience that we come in direct contradiction to the character of God. And so let's look together, Jeremiah chapter 6. I'd like to share with you three elements of disaster for those who refuse to take the Lord seriously. That first element of disaster for those who refuse to take the Lord seriously is this. The people have rejected God's Word. So as we're putting the pieces together, what sets us in the path of disaster? The rejection of God's Word. Look what it says. Jeremiah chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 10. Prophet Jeremiah writes this, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. 
And I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with, with the wife, the aged with him who is full of days. And their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of many people, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall, and at the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful, Lord, for the privilege to share your word with these folks. Now, Lord, may we have ears to hear. As we look to your word, may we stand encouraged and corrected and admonished and even rebuked. Now, Lord, you have spoken. We have read your word. Now, may we obey what we have read. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we put the, the elements together, the pieces together for disaster, what is the foundational element for disaster? That is the absolute total rejection of God's word. That when we open God's word, we fail to hear. I would remind you that anytime we read God's word, he has spoken. We often hear, I'd like to hear God speak. Well, he's spoken 66 books worth. And our responsibility is to obey what it is that he has said. But often we read, but we fail to hear. We look and understand and even go as far as studying what we, what we find here. But remember. When we look at the Great Commission, the Great Commission is not teaching them to know everything I've commanded you. That's not what the Great Commission is at all. But rather, the Great Commission is teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Then when we look to the Scripture, it's not Bible knowledge that will ultimately be the test, but rather it is obedience that will be the test. I remember one of my professors in college he, he had a distinct accent. I can hear his voice in my head. And he was asked, what is it that a young man should know when he's preparing for ordination? And he's, he, he would always respond this way. He said that the, a young man, when he's ready for ordination, should have the level of Bible knowledge that the average elderly woman in the pew has. What I was grateful for, brother, is he didn't say that he should be obedient to the level that the average elderly woman in the pew is. My grandmother was one of the most godly women that I've ever known. She didn't have a, mass, a vast amount of Bible knowledge, but she was faithful to what she knew. She was a godly, godly lady. When we look at this admonition here from Jeremiah, Notice what it is that lays the foundation for disaster, not just in the nation of Judah, but also what is it that lays, or in the kingdom of Judah, but what is it that lays the foundation for disaster in my life and yours? Look again in verse 10. Look what he says. To whom shall I speak and give warning? 
that they may hear. Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. The issue that as he stood before them, remember, he's not speaking to the irreligious, but rather he is speaking to the religious. The issue, when we look at this, uh, this problem, the problem has nothing to do with, the, with lost people acting lost. It has nothing to do with irreligious, pe- irreligious people, but rather the issue is those who would name the name of the Lord fail to obey the Lord. Church, there is, if we were to look at our country today, and we, could, we question why is our country going in the direction that it's going in? Well, I think the answer to that is very simple. That it's people who would name the name of the Lord and yet fail to obey. I'll tell you, I'm a pastor of a Southern Baptist church. Our church has about 2,000 members, and I'm going to be honest with you. The FBI couldn't find most of them. The Southern Baptist Convention, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. The Southern Baptist Convention is supposed to have 16 million members. (laughs) There is... You're talking about even the tax man can't find all of them. So we look at that and we easily just brush it off, but the reality is why is, the Lord never judged any nation based on the way lost people act. But rather, it's the way that those who would name the name of the Lord reject what the Lord is doing. That's exactly his issue with Judah. You can go to Israel today and be led around, I've done this, be led around by those who are leading tours by Jewish people who are atheists. Now imagine that. I remember we were on, we were on, a, on our tour bus going, uh, going, through, going through Jerusalem, and it was approaching 6 o'clock on a Friday evening. And as 6 o'clock approached, our... Uh, our, our tour guide, we had to. I remember stopping at a at a at a uh, at a four way stop, and this tour guide had to jump off and run to his home because he was going to he was going to celebrate Shabbat. Well, he already told us that he was atheist, but uh, think of that. He had to go. He had to get home as quickly as possible because six o'clock everything shuts down in Jerusalem at six o'clock. I mean, even the elevators go on. A Shabbat setting. The doors and the hotel rooms are not shut all the way. This happens all across the city. And yet, it's filled with people who would name the name of the Lord, and that's, that's a whole different discussion. They would name the name of the Lord, and yet are professed atheists. When we think about the United States of America, and we can often say, well, we're a Christian nation. Well, we have to be careful with that. We may, have a, we may be a country that was founded with Christian principles, but the reality is we're only a Christian nation as we are a Christian people who are obedient to what God says in His Word. And so when we look at this warning from Jeremiah, we're reminded that it's not enough to have Bible knowledge, that it's not enough to even name the name of the Lord It's only enough as we walk by grace in obedience to Him. Paul reminds us of this. Listen to what Paul writes, Romans chapter 2. Listen to this in verse 4. Paul writes this, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, 
not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But listen to what he says in verse 5. But in accordance with your, the hardness and the impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteousness of the judgment of God. So what is it that he says that we're doing as we hear God's word preached, as you hear it taught, as you open God's word and read it, and we fail to obey? What is it that we're doing? According to the Apostle Paul, we're storing up wrath in the day of wrath. That there's going to be a time that we're setting ourselves up for judgment. You and I are absolutely accountable to what it is God says in His Word. When we look to God's Word and we read and we, we and I pray to God, memorize and we're studying, the end goal is not to know more Bible, but the end goal is to become more obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can look at God's Word and we can walk away and be puffed up by the knowledge of the Word of God and yet never be transformed. Remember, church, our goal is not just to be filled with knowledge. Our goal is to be obedient to the Savior. And that is exactly the warning that Jeremiah gives. But not only did they fail to hear, that they refused to hear, but they were also, also offended by what the Lord said. Look again in verse 10. Verse 10, he says this, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. You hear that? The word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Church, there's much that I read in God's word that I don't like. When I open God's Word, it often contradicts my life. And I don't like that. One of the most popular things that I hear from church folk today is, well, that's just your interpretation. But you know, let's just pause and speak to that for a moment. When we look to the way that the Lord Jesus Christ handled Scripture, he gives us a pattern after which we are to emulate. What is, how does the Lord Jesus handle the Bible? Well, we, we, all we need to do is just look. He, he takes the, the biggest, most controversial miracles in all of Scripture and handles them literally and historically. For example... You don't really believe that Adam and Eve were real people. They were just figureheads. Jesus refers to them by name as literal people. You don't really believe. You couldn't possibly believe a man named Jonah who was followed by, swallowed by a great fish. Jesus said, that the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth, as was Jonah in the great fish, three days and three nights. So he deals with even the most controversial issues in all of the Scripture, and he does that literally and historically. But then he tells us that not one jot or one tittle would pass from, until all is fulfilled. 
Well, he handles it grammatically. So we can see the pattern for handling the Bible is literal, historical, and grammatical. So it's not left up to our interpretation. It's left up to our reading and comprehension. It's really that simple. It's amazing. I, I teach the foundational Bible study course at Tri-State Bible College. And the whole course is built around one concept, getting students to slow down enough to be able to aptly comprehend what the Bible actually says. It's not left up to our imagination. It's left up to our, our obedience, that we're to look at Scripture and be able to comprehend what it is that the Bible says and then obey what it says, and that contradicts everything about me. The Bible tells me that I was conceived in sin and I came forth from my mother's womb speaking lies. The Bible tells me that my heart is desperately wicked and above all things deceitful, and so that gives us the reason why we would say, well, that's just your interpretation because when we open the Bible, we don't like what we find because it's a contradiction of what we believe. It's a contradiction of what we understand. It's a contradiction of the experience that we have in life. But my friend, we are in desperate need of objective truth that tells me how to live. And that, that objective truth is not found on social media, and God help us all, it's not found on TikTok. That objective truth is found right here in the pages of Scripture, and that contradicts how I want to live. And that just points me to the reality of my great need for a Savior. Jeremiah warns of this. He says, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They don't like what they hear. They reject what they hear. But remember, what was it that Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy? Some of the last words that he writes, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Some of the last things that he said, what was it that he said? He didn't say, Timothy. He didn't say, Timothy. Tell them what they want to hear. He didn't say, Timothy, comfort them in their misery. No, what did he say? He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. Rebuke. Exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, and they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now think of what he just said. They'll be turned aside to fables. So the, the fable that after millions and billions of years, two little single-celled organisms swam around and became a person that taught, teaches with his Ph.D. in the local university. That's the fable. The fable is that a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man. That's the fable. I would point out to you that we're living in a world that's, that's set, that claims to be more tolerant now than ever before. But let's look at the result of that. The suicide rate is skyrocketing faster now than ever before. Could it just be that the fable that a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man, that, the, that love is love as it's said, 
is a direct contradiction to what we find in Scripture and that the God of the universe who spoke it all into creation has given us and not only told us how things came to be, but has told us how things ought to be and ultimately told us how things will be. Years ago, I was pastoring a church, North Charleston Baptist Church, and, and down the street, there was a white-framed church, probably 500 yards from our church, a little white-framed church that um, had, uh, to my knowledge, there were two or three people who would meet in the basement there and d had done so for about 20 years. Some of the folks from our church were raised there in the church that once met in that building. And... Uh, Driving that way one, one morning, there was all kinds of flurry, all kinds of activity going on there. And some of the folks in our church were so excited that finally life was being breathed back into this building. And they would come and tell me stories about how, how amazing things had, were there at one time. And this little white frame church had a little basement and, up, and, and this small building on top of it. And the more that I investigated, because that's what pastors do when there's other churches that come to the area, we want to know what's going on. That's part of the responsibility as the under-shepherd is to lead and protect the flock and know what's going on. And once I found out, I, ha I had to stand in front of our congregation because they so wanted to get involved and help that, just fan that, that, those embers into a flame. Well, it was a... a, it was a gay-affirming church. As a matter of fact, it had split off of another gay-affirming church. Brother, I don't know what it takes to split a gay church, but they did it that day. And I'm not trying to be unkind or cruel. It's just the reality is the Bible has given us clear instruction. And we can look, and we can look at others and see the rejection of the clear instruction explicit teaching of the Word of God, but yet when, when, the God, when the Bible is turned on us and we open God's Word and hear what it is that we have to say, we don't, what it has to say according to our life, then we would, let, we would rather condemn the darkness and curse the darkness than we would open God's Word and, and our lives being exam, be examined by what it says. And so that first element of disaster is that element that the people have rejected God's word. But the second element of disaster is this, that there is a thorough judgment of God which is certain. God doesn't change. He doesn't change with our times. He doesn't change with our opinions. In fact, when we look to the scriptures, we recognize that the righteousness of God requires a response. Look what it says in verse 11. Therefore, because of the rejection of God's word, I am full of fury, the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Our world will not be judged by what we believe is right and wrong. You and I will not be judged by what we believe is right and wrong. 
But there is going to be a day in which you and I stand in judgment. You say, Pastor, I know that I have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Yes, and there will be a day when you and I stand in judgment before the Lord. And that judgment's not going to be a judgment to determine if we go to heaven or hell. That's not the judgment. But in fact, that judgment, that Bema seat judgment, is going to be a judgment in which your life is weighed, that your life is judged, and it it is examined, and it will be examined by the righteousness of God Himself. Do you really believe that? I really believe it because the Bible says it. And so, when we look to what the Scriptures tell us, we recognize that Jeremiah is speaking to this nation because he wants this nation, he wants the kingdom of Judah to turn from the wrath that is to come. But there is a warning that you and I can heed here as well, that the rejection of God's Word, the disobedience of our life, the failure to conform our life to the Word of God is a, it is a recipe for disaster because there's a recognition that the judgment of God comes based on His righteousness. No, you and I will not face the same judgment that a lost person faces. But we will face a judgment on the righteousness of Christ, our, own, our righteousness, our failure to obey the Word of God. When we think of the kingdom of God, we're reminded that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of His righteousness. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 that it's a kingdom that will be ruled with a scepter of righteousness, absolute, total righteousness. You know the old saying, the little adage that's helpful that says when you point a finger at another, there are three pointing back at you. But I I would remind you that the very same judgment that allows us to look at the lost world and say that's wrong or that's right is the same judgment that comes back to us and and points to the failure of the obedience of the heart. We've all been there. We've all done it. Where we looked apart on the outside, believed that we've got it all together, and yet failed to open God's Word, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, have our heart examined by the Word of God. My friend, it was the Lord Jesus who said, You will be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. So that standard of righteousness is not a standard that is in comparison to those around us, but rather it is a standard with the very righteousness of God Himself, the perfection of God Himself. That should cause us pause. That should cause us to examine our heart and recognize that we're in desperate need of grace because I am not as perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. I may be in my standing. You say, Pastor, I know that I am in my standing because that is what Christ has done. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what happens at salvation. At salvation, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to your account. You stand dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. But yet, in our conduct, it stands in contradiction to that righteousness. I am righteous in my position and fail miserably in my practice. And it's that for which I will be judged.
But we also recognize that that response is thorough. Look again at verse 11. He says, therefore, I am full of fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife and the age with him who is full of days. And their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. The judge speaking of is not a perfunctory judgment. It's not a judgment that's on the surface, but rather it's a judgment of detail. Would you hold your spot here and would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 12? Matthew chapter 12. I want you to see with me in verse 33. So I was reading those, those words as Jeremiah speaks of this judgment to Judah. I was reminded of the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 12, beginning in verse 33. Listen to, listen to what, what Jesus says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Would you grab your pen or your pencil and would you underline those words? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is the issue? The issue is not our conduct. The con our, our conduct, what we see on the outside, only reflects the problem. So the answer is not stop doing bad things. That's not the answer. The answer is not start acting the part. That's not the answer. The answer is, or the issue is the issue of the heart, and the answer can only address the heart. So you can look the part. You can act the role. So I, 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 my, my Ph.D. is from Tennessee Temple University. I had a, I had a, uh, one of the janitors at our, at Rose Hill, worked in the school. I noticed any time that I would see him, he was very, very uh, standoffish and, and very cold. And so one day, I just walked up to him and started talking to him, and I try to, try to build somewhat of a relationship. We've got a lot of folks, so it's hard to, it's, it's difficult to, get around and meet the different staff, and some of those folks are there at different times, some are in the middle of the night cleaning and getting school, the school ready for the next day. So I didn't see him often, but I noticed when, he was, when I did see him, he was very cold, and so I went up to him when I saw him there and started talking to him, and, and he said, out of the blue, he said, so you went to Tennessee Temple? I said, yeah, I did. And he said, my dad did too. And you know, when somebody looks at you and said, yeah, my dad did too, that's different than my dad did too. You know, the tone was radically different. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And he said, yeah, 
He said, I don't go to church. When people offer these things to you, brother, you've had this experience before. They, there's clearly an agenda. There's clearly something they want to communicate. And so he went on to tell me about the experience that his dad had. Back in the day, Tennessee Temple was the flagship church of the, independent, or the Highland Park Baptist Church and then its school, Tennessee Temple. Those were the flagships of the independent Baptist movement. And he said, my dad loaded up our, whole, our, our lives and we moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he said, we were active members of Tennessee. We were active members of Highland Park Baptist Church. And I said, you know, I almost became the, the pastor at Highland Park Baptist Church. And that only made the issue worse. You know how it is. You're just trying to relate to people and trying to connect. And he said, he said yeah, my dad, would, we'd go to Highland Park, then come home and he would beat us. He was abusive to my mom. He said he went over to Tennessee Temple was all right there together and he said he repeated it he would act the part and then when we'd get in a car we'd get home he would he was abusive to us all he said I hate him you're a part of a conservative Baptist church you support tri-state Bible college you support conservative, Bible-believing missions. You know, when we say conservative, we're not talking about political. We, we, uh, any any Bible-believer believes that we need to be faithful but, and we need to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but our hope has nothing to do with an election. Our hope has everything to do with the coming reign of a Savior. So that is a statement of theology, not as a statement of politics. But one of the greatest failures of conservative Bible believers is believing that the issue is to conform the outside, look the part, and use the words of our Savior to be full of dead men's bones inside. You see, obedience to the Lord has to be an obedience that comes from the heart. That is the obedience that's pleasing to Him. And that can only come by grace. It doesn't come by just acting the part. Look again at what our Lord said here. Look again in verse 34. He says, Brew of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Now that, that simple phrase, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, that can be an amen and that can be an oh me. Because that tells me that the condition of my heart is exposed by my mouth every time. When we hear, the, when we hear Peter say, Jesus said that he's going, to be, he's going to go away, he's going to die. Peter says, by no means, Lord. Well, we know exactly what's going on in Peter's heart just right there. We know that his heart is not focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus is going to redeem through his sacrifice. That's, there's a, there, that's, that's right before us. But let's go on. Look what he says. He said, a good man 
out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. If, if, if you write in your Bible, you could write this word, regeneration, right there in 35. Because he's not saying, if you're a good man, then the evidence of that will be seen by what you say, because that comes from your heart. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there is none good but one, and that is God. And the only way that you can be good is through regeneration. The only way that you can be right with God is through regeneration, and this comes through redemption, repenting of sin, and turning to Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the evidence of that is seen by what you say. Now there, brother, is an old me again. Because... Too often we'll confess Jesus with our lips and deny him in our lifestyle. And so when we look to this, we recognize that every time you say, I know the Lord, but my mouth gets away from me, then your mouth is in need of redemption. There is a need for repentance, recognizing that that sin is destroying you, and you need to submit it to God and need to be empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not something that you can do on your own. This comes only through taking off, repenting, and putting on, being led by the Spirit of God. That's the only way that any of this can be. But he goes on in verse 36, he said, But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will, ju- will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Every idle word. So when we stand before him in judgment, those words that we didn't mean to say, those words that we say out of anger, those words that we say out of passion, those words that we say when reacting, Every one of them will be brought up and judged. So when we look, we recognize that his judgment is thorough. And that judgment drives us to our incredible need for a Savior. Let's let's do this quickly. So we recognize then that the elements for disaster is a failure to hear God's word. The elements for disaster is recognizing that he is righteous and we will stand in judgment. And this final element for disaster is that our heart is far more callous than we we are willing to recognize. Look what he says, Jeremiah 6, look again in verse 14. Look what he says. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So he's saying that there are false prophets who will come and they'll say everything's wonderful, it's great, everything's peaceful. And he said, wait a minute. They may have brought a little momentary healing, but they failed to deal with the condition of the heart. The condition of the heart is that it is far more wicked than we fail to realize, that it it has become more callous than, than than we want to recognize. Church, when we look around us, we watch the news, we listen to, we, we, we turn on the television, we l- listen to the radio. We've become so accustomed. 
I remember, I, so in the summer, while I was going to college and seminary, I worked at Columbia Gas. And I had to, it was a great job. I had to be there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I, and I got to run a weed eater and drive a tractor all day. That was just awesome. And, it, and you know, and I, I, and now I'm going to date myself. I'd put on my headphones and put in a cassette tape. So a cassette tape was kind of like streaming, but it was, you had to be kind and rewind, okay? And so I would drive around and I, and, and I would listen to, I would listen to the, uh, listen to tapes and all kinds of stuff and. It was great. And so there was a lot of guys who didn't know the Lord that I had the awesome opportunity to work with. And one of the guys said, hey, you want to go to a dirt track race this weekend? Uh, Look, I I know it's March Madness. I could care less. Uh, If it does not have a steering wheel and a big V8, I'm not interested. Uh, and, 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 And so... We were, we were at this dirt track race, and, and every other word that this guy said was a cuss word. Every other word. And he said, he said you know, I know you're going to be a preacher. And he said, I'm sorry. And he started to apologize. And it was an expletive-filled apology. Every other word was, he said, I don't mean to cut. And it beep, 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 you know. And he just continued on. And it, and. And, you know, look, I, I had no expectation. The guy didn't know the Lord, and he didn't realize. It, it had become so commonplace, he didn't even realize that his, his apology was more offensive than the rest of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Folks, we become calloused to things. Oh, that's just the way things are. But our response shouldn't be anger at lost people acting lost. Our response shouldn't be we turn on the television and say, how, you know, and and get upset because of the way that people identify. Our Our response should be an incredible burden that people need a Savior. That should be the response. That we look around and recognize that but by God's grace, there go I. And it, it is not because you and I somehow have become more wise or we're more articulate or we're more intelligent or that we are anything better than anyone else. In fact, that's not it at all. It is that a Savior sought us out while we're in open, total rebellion to Him and drew us near by the blood of Christ. That we are who we are by God's grace and nothing else. So let's, let's, let's finish this up. Look in verse 15 and we'll be finished. And so they refuse to acknowledge the condition of their heart. And they refuse to repent of their sin. Look what it says. They were ashamed when they had committed abomination. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall, and and the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Church, I will finish with this. There is certain judgment for you and I as we stand before the Lord and our obedience is judged. 
But there's also certain judgment for all who do not know Christ. And so now, what is it that we take from the, me- the message of Jeremiah? We have to ask this question. Is my life on the course for certain disaster? Am I, is, am I bringing my life in a greater way into submission to what God says in His Word? Or do I have everything together? I brought it all together. I'm able to do it. I'm, I have achieved. I have I've put it together. And that today, I am no more like Christ today than I was yesterday. Because I have the outside looking good while inside my heart is full of dead men's bones. That the worship that comes from my lips is a show for the outside and is not an overflow of the heart inside. That the evidence, the work that is going on in me is a work by grace and the evidence of that grace is seen in what I say. It is seen in how I think. It is seen in the way that I treat others. It is more than surface level. It comes from the work of grace in my heart. That's a question we all have to ask. What is he doing in me? Where is the evidence of that work? Maybe you're here today, and you don't know the Savior at all. There's never been a time in your life where you have repented of your sins and by faith turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that, yes, there is a certain judgment to come, but the Bible tells us that we don't have to stand in that judgment on our own, but rather... God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. He was buried and He rose from the grave the third day. He faced the judgment that I rightly deserve, that I rightly have earned, and yet He has stood as my substitute in order to take the judgment and the wrath of God, and I receive as a gift His forgiveness. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have received the gift of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? I can tell you, there was a time that I did. I remember in 1986, watching a church play my brother was in. The preacher stood up and he said, if you don't want to go to hell, come forward. I didn't want to go to hell and I didn't want to come forward. But on the way home, my mother led me to faith in Christ, driving down the road. The Bible says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God's raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. You can be saved too. Do you know him? Is the evidence of his grace seen in your life? Those are two questions that every person in this room has to ask. Let me pray for you. Our Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful, Lord, that a prophet writing thousands of years ago addresses us today. Now, Lord, you know every person in this room. You care for them deeply. 